0: Hello and welcome to the new series of the Free Speech Nation podcast with me, Andrew Doyle. I'm delighted to say that my first guest for the new series was Tommy Tiernan. Tommy, you will know as an acclaimed stand-up comedian, uh, but also you'll have seen him on the sitcom Derry Girls and in his own RTE chat show, The Tommy Tiernan Show. He's about to start a tour of England on the 17th of March called Tom Foolery, having just completed an Irish leg of the tour. So do go and check him out live and in person if you get the opportunity. I really enjoyed this conversation with Tommy we covered an awful lot of ground we talked about the comedian's relationship with his audience uh, and with social convention we talked about uh, the subversive nature of comedy it's essentially anarchic spirit and we talked about the many personas uh, that the comedian tends to adopt so I do hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did this is the free speech nation podcast with me Andrew Doyle and Tommy Tiernan Tommy welcome to the show I'm Thanks really for talking to me I'm really interested in uh, a lot of the work that you do um, but let's start with your chat show mm. uh, which is one of a kind it's the, the 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 central concept that you just don't know who's going to turn up and then they turn up and you just go for it and you haven't done the research I and mean, that terrifies the hell out of me but I, I always feel like I have to know pretty much as much as I can about the person before I speak to them yeah are you naturally curious I like to think so. That's why I yeah. post lots of books to give that impression.
1: Yeah, no, th- I think that that will see you through.
0: Yeah. Uh, if you just, just, just follow your
1: natural curiosity um, and also maybe having a comedian's instinct for the uh, surprising um, yes. and also not, not being employed by the television station, all these things help. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, sometimes- yeah, so it, it's, it's a kind of, um, in one way, in one way, you know, comedians can see themselves as, as uh, outlaw mm. and, you know, uh, coming in with unmannered instincts. Um, but maybe stand up isn't the only place that those things can work and they can work in an interview if you're also kind of genuinely humanely curious. So mm. um, I think, I mean, we've tried to sell the show, you know, I thought it would be my pension. I thought, great, now I've come up with a great idea. And now, instead of me going on the road, uh, the idea will go on the road. And uh, the idea will come back and say, here's, here's money. Yes. Uh, but no other country in the world wants to do it. I'm really surprised. Um, I thought, I'm thought i surprised because it, it works brilliantly. I mean, it, the, the format yeah, just works. Um, I'm surprised that someone in the UK hasn't done it. There's loads of people I think could do it. Yeah, I remember years ago, Baddiel and Skinner had a, a show called Unplanned. Which was live on ITV About half 11 on a Thursday night or something um, But nobody nobody seems interested really Maybe the nature of public conversation Has changed So our our show goes out at 9.30 On a Saturday night So it's kind of prime time mm. um, But interesting conversation Can take place A lot of it takes place on podcasts now A lot of it can take place On afternoon shows I mean Yes I, I, I can't say that I've watched an entire episode of Loose Women, but I'm, what I'm saying is that the possibility exists for interesting conversation there.
0: Yeah, it does. I, I wouldn't put yourself through that. But I do wonder about this because the, the reason I think the format works is because you're essentially guiding the the audience through the similar journey that you're on as so far as you don't necessarily know the person. Yeah. I imagine when someone like Eddie Izzard comes on, you know, you probably know him personally, right? So yeah. but when it's someone like, I mean, I saw the one you you, you interviewed, the HIV activist, Robin oh, Ward. Oh, yeah. And I got the impression, and I could be wrong, but I got the impression that you weren't familiar with him at all. And so you were—was that just my—was was I getting that wrong?
1: No, I didn't know who he was. But those interviews are almost easier because they walk on and they're kind of compelled to tell you a little bit of a story. Yes. So then you just, you know, kind of, well, when did that happen, and what do you think about this? And it's the people that you do know that you uh, that you might find very uninteresting. <laughs> they're. The <laughs> When, when, when your preconceived notion of the, these people um, mightn't excite you, uh, that's yeah. where you earn your money, I think.
0: But you're coming from a comedy background. I mean, that, the, the interview with Robbie Lawler, for instance, was, I mean, you were plunged directly in to a very serious conversation because he was wearing a T-shirt uh, announcing that he was his HIV positive status. Yeah, and obviously yeah. that was your way in. But then it, inevitably, because it's a serious topic that needs to be treated seriously, inevitably you're right in something very, very uh, important and serious, very very quickly. But is it your instinct to, to bring it back to the comic as much as you can?
1: No, just whenever it arises. Mm. So whatever arises, you're compelled uh, to adhere to because you have nothing else. So if a joke comes into your brain, you have to say it because if you don't, the whole uh, the the da- you know even massive traffic jam in your imagination. Then
0: mm. so it's
1: it's about that, like the David Letterman had a great comic instinct, and it, it's about. He used to be a stand-up as well. So I, th- I think it's just instinctual. I really don't think there's... Uh, there isn't a fierce amount of figuring out in it.
0: No. Um, but that, that human curiosity, do you see that as very much connected, that instinct to, to know more about someone on a human level? Do you see that very much connected to the idea of, of humour and exploration that way?
1: Well, I think you're exploring a different space. So it, when, I'm, when I'm in an interview and I'm talking to somebody, <clears throat> there are whatever arises you follow that so it might be a question about sexual energy it might be a question about money it might be a question about regret um so whatever naturally comes to the surface that's very different to being in on stage in front of an audience because the shared space is different you're kind of it's an it's slightly altered um field of consciousness that everybody is in, it happens in sport as well. I think when forty-five thousand people are have their attention on a football pitch and are all singing and shouting and screaming and roaring, there's a kind of there's an altered state of mind there that I can't. It's it's not entirely logical. It's part spirit. Yes. Um. In the way that you that you know, uh, the 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 momentum of a crowd at a sports match. Yes. And I think with stand-up it's the same. It's about, it's just about that kind of strange shared space of you're the bus driver, uh, you're the mouth of the 1001 minds um, and it's about the adventure. Now you, you have to come on stage with something. Yeah. So if you, ha- if you come on stage with a kind of a bulletproof um, act of joke one to joke
0: 300
1: mm. um, that's a presentation and that is very exciting for some performers mm. um, what I've noticed is and every show really is uh, an attempt at survival Yeah. Um, what I've noticed really is that I have these characters and I have these ideas but they're kind of floating um, and it's about trying to plunge into some shared consciousness with the crowd and um, that's exciting for everybody and that goes places where you don't expect and obviously they have you know you could say something that some people might find it's not that you find them controversial it's that you um, you realize you're kind of off-piste
0: yes so are you attracted to that kind of Lack of a safety net, I suppose, for want of a better metaphor. You know, it's similar with your chat show in a way. Is you're not going to do the research. You're going to plunge yourself in, presumably with the risk that that could go wrong. And yeah, no, it's, I'm,
1: I, I think what I'm really interested in, Andrew, is play.
0: Hmm.
1: A kid needs toys to play with. Hmm. And it, it might be a stick or, you know, a ball or Lego. But it's when the kid has these toys, then their imagination can go to work. So when I walk on stage, I need toys. And the toys might be the shape of that man's head or <laughs> the leather trousers that that lad is wearing. Um, I know, but I also need my material.
0: Yes. You know, so my asked, I mean, it's scripted, right? It's scripted with that s- potential, that space.
1: It's not really right. scripted. It's more... Um, uh, Eddie Izzard came up with a great thing With it once. He said, it's like lava, you know, mm. and at the beginning of a, of a run, it's splashing everywhere. You know, and as the run develops, the lava solidifies until it turns into rock. And that's the least interesting part of it, where you know, word for word, everything you're going to say. So it's, yeah. no, it's about how it's about it's about, um, it's about it's about it's about trying to be creative, either through performance mm. or
0: through improvisation. I mean, I really envy that skill. It's not a skill I have. I I, I always have to uh, have a, a sort of very solid Script, but I am also aware that I've had to learn to adapt to whatever's happening in the room because the, the audience don't forgive it. If if something happens in the room and you don't respond, if something unusual happens, even if it's as simple as a glass being dropped, yeah. you don't respond. It almost feels like it's, it's what you say. It, 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 the illusion of spontaneity is broken. It goes back to this idea of a presentation
1: and you know, the organic
0: element is lost. That's
1: a great test. So what I would often do before I go out on stage is, um, I'd imagine a heckle mm. and I'd imagine my response and if my response isn't funny, I'd know I wasn't really in the zone, but yeah. even people who are phenomenal stand up comedians um you know that thing you're saying of of you know a glass breaks and you, you don't you're not able you can't think of the thing to respond to to yeah. with everybody gets that that's not that's not a a style thing or a beginner's thing or you know a great writer will tell you Jesus Christ I was starting this particular story and I'm looking at the page for, for eight weeks before I wrote the <laughs> it, you know what I mean it's these are this, these fears go with the territory mm. I don't think they're um, they're only for the untalented or, or people who might think themselves untalented it's not it, it, the, we're all crossing the same desert <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, Anna, uh, the, the key to just, if there are any comedians listening, uh, the key to responding to a heckle is to relax and yeah. not try and think of something funny. Uh, and you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed. Sometimes uh, a relaxed response, just noting what's happened, the audience will think is hilarious.
0: I think that's a great piece of advice. I, I used to have, I must confess, early on, I used to have sort of stock I suppose oh, yeah, downs that you could we all do, use,
1: yeah, yeah, and I've stolen thing. some from others but, as well. <laughs>
0: but, but sometimes they just don't feel right, or sometimes, and, and the thing that I start to find a lot more of it because I got a lot of heckles. I don't know why, maybe <laughs> for good reason, probably. But there are things like just just talking through what they've said and, and, and asking them to elaborate a little more <laughs> is kind of a, a funny approach, and sort of deal. and a
1: response will come to you. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, and it's to, it's to it's to be. Do you know sometimes when you're on stage, and you have that heightened sense of defense. Mm. um but what it is actually you're actually constricting yeah uh you're actually a smaller person than you you've turned yourself into a squeak, <laughs> and all you can do is squeak when things happen um whereas it's about relaxing, but it is a constant negotiation it's yeah. a, a every show and every moment of every show is a um it's a trial by it's a trial by light. How do you uh, feel
0: about when the heckle is hostile in insofar as? That's not funny, get off, That's because I remember Zoe oh, yeah. Lyons once said to me, because um, she's very good at handling that kind of thing, she said to me, never to lose your sense of humour. She was talking about w- when she was heckled by a hostile individual and she lost her sense of humour, she was saying, that was the mistake I made, and does that ever happen to you?
1: I, see, I don't go out with I um, I don't have an agenda really, I'm not trying to, I, that, that, I've rarely been heckled like that, I can't think of any time that somebody, maybe one person in a wheelchair, <laughs>
0: Goodness I mean that's not That can't be a good
1: look Um, But um, I I really can't remember Any time that's happened Um, I think maybe the the Stand-up scene in England Is a bit more politicised Than it is over here Uh, I think uh, Stand-up in the UK Is probably It's probably A bit more accepted To use it as a platform For ideas political yeah. ideas and when that happens then of course but that's you know i guess that's what's exciting about about that goes back to Hyde Park and people standing up and saying you know yeah um rastafarians should be eaten do you know what i mean whatever their particular <laughs> thing is um but in Ireland we don't have that as much we're not as politicized um yes. so we don't really have that kind of thing so so it it doesn't really happen over here i'd say
0: yeah i suppose the, the two i'm thinking of i mean I've been heckled for political reasons. You know, I've made a sort of political point that I probably don't even believe myself. Yeah, that's caused the problem.
1: You don't have to. It's okay. You just got as long as you're making noise.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and the other one, the other one that I really think of is a, was a group of uh, football lads in a a, a, a a free fringe venue in Edinburgh, and they were very explicitly homophobic. They were very angry about the fact that I was gay and wanted yeah. to make a big noise about that. Um, and I tried doing the playful thing with them. I tried flirting with them. Made them angrier um but yeah you know. so i mean that's so um
1: that's such a, an amazing moment like uh because it's it's such there's such a voltage and drama there
0: yeah yeah you no know, that
1: you kind of think it's that's that sounds really exciting to me
0: it what it was exciting and also because the, the audience felt a bit threatened because it was one of those oh, yeah. free speech free speech free fringe venues where you can yeah. just wander in and out there is no security there is no way to prevent these very large men who are obviously very, very drunk. So there was also, so theatrically, I thought the show was a success. Yeah, (laughs) it was,
1: it was even, even in your retelling of it, I'm giving it five stars.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Um, But so, but that kind of thing isn't, isn't, you know, that, that sort of thing hasn't happened to you.
1: Not really. um, But I do find, I do find homophobia slightly, um, I'm I'm not of offended by it. Uh but I am I just I it doesn't make any sense to me. Do you know what I mean? So when yeah. people are and I'm I'm talking about in a in a the, the context of a comedy gig as opposed to um you know under a lamppost uh, yes being attacked by somebody. Yeah, yeah. Um but I just find it, it's one of those things it's kind of like explicit racism. Uh or it's it's worth prodding.
0: It, it is, isn't which it? is
1: a great sectarian
0: remark. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those <laughs> things that you do kind of want to get, you want to sort of dr- drill into a little bit. And totally, think, oh, my, it's my, kind of
1: like what what is that? What are you? What the?
0: I mean, it was a while ago. To be fair, it was about eleven years ago. So I don't. Yeah. I think that would be much, much less likely to happen now. But it was almost. It was almost as though it was part of their. I mean, this is my cod psychology. Part of their bonding experience to identify, you know, this person yeah. on the stage that they get, they could go at, it, it articulate their disapproval. I suppose that's what it was all about.
1: Yeah, you know. but isn't I suppose isn't the um, isn't the thing of of the stand up stage that you do welcome all comers yeah. and that it, that it is a robust environment? So if uh, if you get people who are possessed by the spirit uh, of homophobia. Yeah, <laughs> um, that you can kind of uh, turn on them. I don't know. It's it's um, it, it's it sounds like fertile ground. I'd almost pretend to be gay uh, yeah. <laughs> just to, to to and run the risk of meeting those fellas just to see what would happen. You know, it's, I think it's an amazing
0: moment. It's fascinating. And I think, you yeah. know, I mean, and I do try and understand it as far as I, I was probably quite homophobic as a teenager myself, but there were good reasons for me to be in terms of disguising something yeah. about myself. But um, that, that sort of thing. So you, you, I mean, I heard you talk about your, your the way that you approach your stand-up. Um, and I can't remember, but it was on a podcast and you you were talking about how there's a distinction between the entertainer and the trickster, mm. right? And I thought that was really, really fascinating. And, so, and it comes into what you're saying about play, about seeing the the, the, the audience's kind of materials in this play pen you, you, you've got. And does that mean that whenever something occurs to you on stage, irrespective of how it might work out, it isn't a thought process of, will this generate laughter? You just sort of go with it first and foremost as an instinct. You follow the instinct first. Well, You trust you-, you, you trust the instinct and you trust
1: that if the idea arises in that particular environment, there's a reason for it. Um, yes. And you, you, you just trust it uh, uh, totally. But I think that, the things about being an entertainer or a trickster, the most interesting thing to do is to always be beyond definition. So as soon as people, and again, an instinctual thing rather than a thought out plan. But yeah. if if someone says, oh, that guy is, he's a, I see what he's doing. He's, he's just, he's a, inhabiting that trickster mode, which is one of not taking reality seriously, but it's more than that. It's of not taking a social convention seriously. Yeah. Um, So a trickster will not just attack the powerful, but also attack the weak because the trickster sees both those things as momentary illusions. So therefore, a trickster will, you know, be telling jokes uh, about a high status person it's easy to it's easy to tell jokes about a president it's easy to tell jokes about a prime minister but can you also then tell a joke about the person in a wheelchair in the front row so that's what that's trickster energy and yes. as soon as as soon as that manifests i think you also have to be then become an entertainer and then just try and charm everybody you know yeah, that, but, but 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 in a way that's not thought out and I do think that you, you know, I kind of feel as if ideally a comedian should have no family, uh, be operating under a different name and be homeless uh, <laughs> and possibly wear a mask as well on stage. And nothing to lose. Yeah, because I, you know, you do for all the wonderful, chaotic kind of um, ocean-like energy that a trickster might have on stage and all the wild things you might say and all the characters that you give voice to and all the opinions that come out of your mouth, even though you're aware while you're saying them, I'm not entirely sure if I fully believe this, but let's throw it out there and see what happens. The tide does go out again. Hmm. And it's often on the drive home from the show uh, where you're on your own eating crisps uh, and you're kind of going, oh, my Jesus, you know, <laughs> I'm a wretched individual. <laughs> I have, oh, my God. You know, I hate myself to the degree, I'm going to stop here now and buy more crisps. That's how much I hate myself.
0: <laughs> just, I'm just going to rub
1: them all over me face. Um, so I do think there is a price to be paid for that. Not that it's some great, you know, Robert Johnson meeting the devil at the crossroads and selling your soul for the ability to play the blues. Yeah. But you do pay the price for it and I think anybody who speaks in public uh, there's a price to be paid for it you know because you because you're the pendulum swings back the other way and you kind of go because you're just an ordinary person as well. So There's
0: there's a couple of things that immediately strike me about what you're saying which I think is I think it's fascinating. So firstly you talk about how the trickster has no regard for any social convention uh, at yeah. all, whether that be people in positions of power or what. Well, I mean, now, what, now that the social convention has developed to such a point that, say, homophobia, racism, disablism, these are now you know you you make yourself a pariah by by expressing any any uh, views that fall into that line. Yeah, that that in itself is now a social convention, and the trickster would probably push back about that. Oh, but totally.
1: Then, but but I think the audience will not be offended because the, um, the trickster is moving within the spirit
0: of the room. But um, that's the question, isn't it? Because I think what you're saying depends very much on the audience trusting the performer. And one thing that I, th- that I am concerned about and I have seen evidence of is a depletion of trust from comedy audiences generally, insofar as they hear someone mention race, mm. for instance, and their mind clicks to this is a bigot about to espouse bigotry on stage. And and in that environment, how can they go with you? I know what I mean. I I think you
1: because you're running faster than they are, and because they're laughing before they fully realise what you've said. Because um, and they trust you, and you trust them, and it's a good place to be. And it is essentially the release of tension, rather than anything. If it's if it's genuinely hate-filled, yeah then the audience will sense that and back away from it. But if there's the spirit of play and play isn't always about trying to prove a point like I do, there is one I, I, I do lots of accents in this show. Um, Cause I kind of made a conscious decision that I had a look at the, the kind of the, the show and I says, okay, what's exciting to me here. Mm. And to me it was, okay, let's take all the different characters from all the different stories and just push them a little bit and see if we can get a bit more out of them. So there's Irish accents and there's Indian accents and African accents and, and you know, rural Irish accents, Americans, all the type of stuff in it. And uh, one of the lines that I come up with is uh, I, I do an Indian accent and then I say, you know, a, a little bit of racism is good. And then I go, not a whole lot, just enough to enjoy the Eurovision. So... <laughs> When people, hear, when people hear the first line, they go, uh, what? Yes. But then the recognition of, actually, do you know, I do love laughing at <laughs> the Norwegians. Yeah. Um, but it, it is a, it's, it's about being, there has to be kindness in what you do. And there has to be, um, sure, you can be reckless, but it really is about the spirit of the performer. Um,
0: and you, do and you think th- that's something that is just readily detectable? I mean, you, you obviously are very famous and you have a, a, a following of people who already know what kind of temperament you have. So, so they're going to come along knowing that you're not coming from a bad place already. So that's a big advantage than, say, a new act. Who yeah, I'm not
1: sure. To- I'm not sure. Because I remember doing a show in, um, it was in Houston in Texas. Yeah. And I'm, I walked out and I said, oh, you people are so fat. <laughs> and they were really fat. And then they really started laughing. Yeah. So there's something about, there's a kind of an, um, you're almost like a uh, kind of an amateur. Uh, yes. <laughs> you kind of have amateur Tourette's, you know, it's kind of like you're saying the thing that,
0: uh, yeah, they, they knew I wasn't being mean. Do you know what I mean? But, but that um, can backfire, can't it? I mean, when Jerry Sadowitz went on stage in Canada and said, hello, moose, f-, someone punched him.
1: Yeah, but you'd have to really talk to his particular spirit guide to, right. <laughs> to understand what was going on uh with Jerry at the time. <laughs> um yeah, that's um yeah, but again, see if you, once once you mention somebody specific, then mm. you have to kind of do a bit of drilling and it's drilling from a distance because you're you're not you're not inhabiting that particular skull. Yeah. Um but I've seen Jerry do shows uh, that uh, that have that edge. But somehow that's why that's why you're there. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. It's why you're there because you kind of uh, and he wears the top hat and he doesn't doing the close up magic. You yeah, know, and maybe the, maybe the, that particular I mean that that particular room at that particular festival in Canada that's a big corporate space.
0: Right Okay
1: That's like their version Of Live at the Palladium You know Yeah Uh, So if If Reginald D. Hunter Went out On Live at the Palladium Or the Royal Variety Show And said something That you know That he normally says In a comedy club And people took objection to it You could see that maybe the
0: Yes So it's about the context of
1: Yeah But again Without thinking about it too much
0: Yeah 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 No I understand We didn't get into stand up To think no <laughs> 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 quite the opposite it was, a, um, it was a, a fleeing thought one thing I do I mean just now we're talking about Jerry Sadowitz I remember seeing him in Edinburgh once and he came on and there were three or four disabled people in wheelchairs at the front he immediately went for them not in a yeah. mean but acknowledged it well in a mean way I suppose because everything that Jerry Sadowitz persona on stage says is mean in a way right um, yeah. because that's his persona um, and they loved it they clearly loved they clearly loved that. Because yes, I yes. often when there's someone uh, who has a disability in the front row, comedians just ignore them and they'll go along the row talking to people and then they just skip over. Yeah. That, and I think people are fed up of being invisible, you know? Uh,
1: the, I, it, possibly that they don't trust their own instincts. The, the comic on stage just doesn't trust right. his own instincts, his or her own instincts. There's a great democracy. Lenny Bruce had this fantastic line, um, is, everybody's vulnerable. Everybody's ass is up for grabs. And that's yeah. kind of the, there's the, the democracy. Of insulting everybody, uh, I think is good.
0: Yeah, no, I, under- I understand that point, and um, I, I, I just—it just strikes me. And I'm, perhaps I'm wrong here. You can correct me. Um, I just get this impression, particularly from other comedians, that there is a perception that the kind of hate-fueled bigot who wants to stand up there and tell jokes to attack people. See, I don't think those people really exist. I—I don't know those people. I don't mm. know what comics would do that. So my default expectation when I say comedian, even when I don't know, is. He's coming from a good place, or she's coming from a good place. It isn't about bigotry, but I often see comedians say, "Oh, you know, there, there's a there's a whole load of people who just want to get up there and, and, and tell racist jokes and attack racial minorities." And I'm just thinking, and and the examples they always give are people from the 70s or 60s. Yeah. I just don't think those people are there anymore, and I, and I do worry that this does have an effect of eroding trust when you hear comedians saying things like that. See, you, you, once you move on to racist jokes, you, you're we're all
1: automatically, we've left the earth. Mm. And we're now in the air. Nothing to me seems solid. Something is either funny or it's not. It can be about race. It can be about gender. It can be about the Olympics or Putin or donuts or lesbians or mermaids. If it's funny, it's funny. Uh, and if people don't find it funny, then uh, that's all it is. It's just an unfunny moment. I have um, in in this in the same way that you know uh, I walk on a stand-up stage to free myself from autocracy. Yeah. So, and I trust laughter, and I and I also trust the. Uh, humanity of the people involved that if somebody makes a mistake it's okay and they shouldn't be hounded out of their uh, job because of it. So if somebody gets up on stage and tells a joke and on further reflection that joke is actually coming from not such a good place then I Mm -hmm. suppose just stop telling it and move on rather than uh, be hung, drawn and quartered in the virtual town square. Um, But I think laughter is... You follow the laughter. And th- that can take you to odd, strange places and you find yourself laughing at things that... Jesus Christ, am I? did I actually... You know, but I, I that's why I, I think laughter is an outlaw. Um, and, you know, laughter isn't the mayor. Um, it, laughter is the weird kind of wild woman who lives in a tree four miles outside the town. Yes. Um, so I don't... I, I really would be very very slow to adopt a manifesto for stand-up
0: oh yeah um, I, but I'm trying I, to I try to understand the people who claim otherwise who would counter your view I mean I think of the uh, 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 um, Robin D'Angelo who who wrote that book White Fragility and she was on a podcast recently talking about how the Simpsons South Park these are framing devices in order to promote racism and 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 she because they joke about race and that was her mm-hmm. and i tried to understand what what that is and what i think what it is is a kind of well firstly it's very literal minded but it is also based on a, a complete lack of trust and also an assumption of bad faith on part of the on the part of the i, I admit you're not going to find people like robin I in a comedy audience
1: yeah i don't know i mean i think ev- every point of view is worth kind of digging into and 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 uh there's a thread of logic uh to most arguments um but I guess, uh, uh, like I said, we we don't live on on solid ground. Yeah, we're constantly moving and and adapting and changing, and it is the thing of of uh, on the one hand being free, free to do whatever comes into your mind on the stage, whatever you and the audience find funny, with also. Uh, a kind of an examination of your own generosity, maybe yeah. um I don't know, I don't again i you know w- I didn't it, it's that thing of uh of being irresponsible, so people who are touting responsibility will find that uh, upsetting not well, I, don't, I don't mean you know emotionally upsetting, but they'll find it you know
0: well the trickster can't be responsible, otherwise they're no longer a trickster, right.
1: That's... Yeah. so you just you, you kind of um, uh, so just in terms of the Simpsons thing the, the trickster approach to that might be uh, okay let's, let's laugh at the jokes that are in the Simpsons and then also let's laugh at the people who are writing the jokes right but, you know what I mean yes, so yes I understand it, it's um, and I'm not filled with the spirit uh, with, the, with the trickster energy now, now this is just, you know, um, yeah. you're talking to Tommy Tiernan, the father of six. Yes. <laughs> so I'm not, you know, um, so I, I don't know. I, I think, I think laughter wins out. Uh, well, I think.
0: I, t- I tell you what it might be. Just know. just just to throw this out there. I think what it might be is, is we've all experienced as kids, right? We've all been bullied. And then the bully says it was just a joke, right? So I think the mistrust might stem from the fact that human humor can be weaponized to intimidate and bully, and has been in everyone's experience at some point
1: yeah i am I'm, I'm not sure those two things um are hand in hand uh the kind of the what you just said, whatever it was <laughs> <laughs> so i'm not sure i I really don't know andrew uh, and again we can it can get too theoretical.
0: Yes, no, I understand that. But, uh, but, you and know, you, you, you really just have to... Uh, do you just ignore it then? Because, I mean, you've had this experience, haven't you? And I, I, I don't like to do the oh, yeah. culture thing, but it's like, you know, when you were accused of also anti-Semitism or because yeah. of something you'd done in a, in a routine. And, you know, I read, you know, if you read the quotes out of context, of course it looks monstrous, but that was part of the point of the routine, wasn't it? That it was about when you decontextualize. See, it wasn't really about, it wasn't about anything. It, it, okay,
1: I felt a tension in the room... Uh, we had reached a kind of It was a public interview And we had reached a kind of a dark moment Of sincerity and reality Yeah uh, And in order to to, to, uh, to break it In a very uneducated uh, Kind of wild way Yeah I said something that was so profoundly racist Yeah uh, that it couldn't be it couldn't be taken seriously it was it wasn't if I'd have, if I'd have, if I'd have tried to be
0: minutely racist it would have been you know, I yeah. was I was beyond <laughs> racist at exactly. no, the I, next I, level I could see that from the quotes it was so extreme that there's no way anyone yeah. could so people
1: started that. laughing and then what happened yeah. is a journalist then took what I'd said and just presented it on its own and it became it went around the world actually you yeah. <laughs> know I talk about it in the new stand-up show and just all the different things that had happened and um. Uh, it's quite. It was quite the event, um, but I would absolutely say that you can. I can notice things. So I started doing stand up around 1995, mm-hmm. and when I started, then it was. I was kind of into stories and silliness, and um, and then when you're, you know, when you're forced to go back on stage, when you choose to go back on stage, four or five nights a week. Year after year after year, your your sense of adventure changes, and I definitely went through a phase of the stand up where the the darker it was, the better. That kind of the slightly, I wouldn't say vicious, but kind of out of hand, mm. kind of like a you know like a teenager on cheap speed, just kind of <laughs> gnarly and angry, and and then I went through, but that and that phase might have lasted you know two or three years. But it's only one of maybe eight or nine phases, you know, that a person goes through and you just look back and say, oh, you know, I remember, you know, and it might be uncomfortable for me to look back. And now on that particular, uh, no, it's not uncomfortable. I can see the value in it. I can see the value in the comedian with a fistful of rocks smashing shop windows. I can see the value of that. It's not where I'm at right now, uh, but I can absolutely... And I will pay to watch that, uh, but I'll also pay to see silliness. Mm. I'll also pay to see one liners. I'll also pay to see absurd, abstract stand up. I'll pay to see
0: all kinds. But that's interesting because yeah. the, I think the subversive style of humor is, it, like I say, I think is is mistrusted now. Um, but it's interesting what you say about because earlier you did draw a distinction between you talking to me now yeah and the trickster on on stage so and from what you've just said it sounds like you're almost shifting between persona over time depending on depending on what's going on in your life i suppose is that the way you see the i know you, you don't like to overthink it and I'm, so yeah. i so the question's redundant really but
1: well no i had um uh, bob dylan said something recently about how the you know as far as he was concerned the uh, the purpose of being alive was to exp- explore whatever character you are at that moment to the full mm. so uh, I would say that in 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 my day for example okay uh, I wake up and the person I'm lying beside I'm a husband to that person so I'll behave like a husband and then I'll go downstairs and I'll behave like the owner of a dog <laughs> and then I'll behave like the father of children and then I'll um behave like a businessman answering emails about where I want to do shows and where I don't want to do shows. Yeah. So in the course of any, then I'll behave like a friend. So in the course of any day, we have lots of different incarnations just in the course of a day. And the excitement about meeting different people is they bring out parts of you. People see it especially in kind of love affairs, you know. Oh, I, I really like being with that person. They... I'm different with them than I am with other people and I really enjoy the different person that I am. So, do, you I, so, any, do
0: you think any of those are more authentic than the other?
1: Not really. You know, if you spoke to your wife like you speak to your dog. <laughs> 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 and then people all really re- love their dogs. People are very... Know, so I think it's all about you <laughs> just... I don't think one is more authentic than the other. You know, really.
0: Even uh, when, Even when you're on stage, you see that as a part of you even though it's so wild and you say these things that you don't even believe and... Do you know what I mean? You you still feel that's a a kind of part of you. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: it's the most. To be honest with you, it is the most. um, It has the the the. Now I'm not. You know, I would be ashamed of some of my. I'd be. Yeah, shame is something that runs through my career, (laughs) like the Danube. Um, uh, I. There are yeah, there are consequences to it. Um, You know but it's like what i was saying earlier on you have to say i feel as if i have to say the first thing that comes into my head mm. and if i don't say it all the creativity uh, dries up and yeah. so the beautiful parts on stage the beautiful ones to experience the ones that are, sorry the ones that are easier to live with afterwards
0: yeah yeah
1: are the ones where you're you've just charmed the audience into this slightly altered state, mm. and it's very warm and and round and sensual and lovely and full of laughter. Mm. That's that. They're the easiest ones to live with. The hardest ones to live with are where you say something and out there. It's just like it's it's like having a mouthful of barbed wire, and you're kind of. But it came out through you. Yeah. you thought of it. You said it they're the ones afterwards where you're kind of, you're vomiting in the dressing yeah. room going, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a little pig. I am a little, bad little pig. Well, I guess that's the, um, there is a price to be paid for uh, asking the trickster uh, to come on stage mm. with you. There is, yeah. And I, I don't know, I'd be, I'd be interested in and do other comics have the same experience you know and the ones off the top of my head would say say with Frankie. Mm. Um, I he's such a phenomenal writer yeah uh, gifted you know really just gifted Yeah. and I would wonder I'd love to chat to him does, you know does the tide go out you know but, and,
0: but, but I think a lot of I mean I, I speak to comics about this issue quite a lot because I'm very interested in the way in which um whether or not comedians or artists or creative people more generally ever self-censor out of fear that they might scupper their own uh, <laughs> career and huh? i think what you're describing is uh, from th- that you're the kind of performer who can't self-censor you no. bec- because it's so against your instinct but i i would just i think a lot of people tell me they do and i i've had people say oh, i wish i could joke about this thing but i just i just can't i wish i could explore this thing on stage but i just can't and it sounds oh, like you the- can you can you have to <laughs> but it, but you have but it feels like you have you don't have those inhibitions as a kind of that it's in, it's not in your nature to self censor but i i think that's not a common thing actually i think that's a rare gift actually i think a lot of people do uh, uh think things i think it's more trust more than i think
1: I think it's trust. I think I absolutely trust that myself and the audience are in the same space. Mm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm walking around with a torch. It's dark. Yes. And I have the torch and I'm going, look at that, look at that. And we can all see it. It's not about, uh, I don't think it's, it's, it's about things we find in the space or something. I don't know. um, It's also the realization that, you know, it's a turbulent way of life. mm. Um, it's the struggle to make each show good it's the kind of despondency you feel when shows you have a run of shows that don't go well and you don't know how you're going to break through the ice to get to the next level it's um, yeah you know it is it's turbulent but I, I I think you know we'll be calm long enough when we're dead yeah uh, and I must have an instinctual desire for turbulence of some sort yeah uh, in, in, but laughter is turbulence as well so it's not absolutely I guess it, what I'm trying to say is that um, I'm trying to define something that resists definition yes uh, so it is it's instinctual uh, but a huge part of it is trust so if say I'm say I was asked to do the the I was going to call it the one o'clock show one, the, the one o'clock show It's at seven <laughs>
0: <laughs> the misnamed one seven o'clock show shows. yeah it's seven o'clock show.
1: So if I'm on that talking to people, uh, and um, ideas come into my head that I don't say, it's because I don't trust where I am, yeah, and I don't trust that there's a shared space. Um,
0: does that anarchic I, does that anarchic instinct ever follow you off stage though? Do you ever find yourself in a in a conversation think oh, if I just said this now it would be incredible? It oh would- yeah, I mean I do that with my
1: wife all the time, and it's <laughs> never, it's never. I remember once I, s- I told her she was resistible and it just because beca- it made me laugh. Yeah. Oh, you're so resistible. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it still,
1: still comes back to haunt me. <laughs>
0: That's um, what I mean, is Does that, does that, because I, I remember being at a, f- a funeral thinking of something that I thought would be hilarious and I couldn't stop myself from saying it and it just upset people because it was an inappropriate... <laughs> oh, you didn't say it out loud, did you? I did, I did. No, I mean out loud to the congregation. No, no, no. It was just to a couple of <laughs> friends, but ne- nonetheless, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like it's almost like there's, there's someone on your shoulder saying, just say it, just see what happens. You know, it's, it's, it's no, an anarchic it's, thing.
1: Yeah, I think, so you, there's two things with that, okay? So um, one is about the, the shared space. So if you had somebody, a really good friend of yours, you'd known for hours. Yeah. And, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: and you know, someone you trusted, you could turn and say something like that. And they either if they didn't find it funny, they wouldn't hang you. Yeah. You know, yeah. they just ash ah, Andrew. Come on, shh. You know what I mean? That <laughs> yeah. would be the end of the world, um, or they would really laugh. And the so that's one particular uh, truth. And being on the the one show, not trusting the not trusting the audience. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Thinking that the presenters are in, an they have another agenda to what I have, and yeah. it's not the s- same. And the people watching didn't invite me into their sitting rooms, so it's all odd. Yeah. Um. And then maybe being on stage in a comedy club in London and just getting the feeling that you're on the same, in the same space as the audience. The other thing then to contend with is this whole notion of the power of words. Yeah, yeah. And that there are words that heal. And there are words that make people feel good. And that uh, a word is a vibration. It's a sound and a vibration. It's, a word is a kind of a spirit. People can say things that make people feel better. Yeah. Um, And stand-up doesn't always do that. So stand-up can be spiky and people are laughing and it it can be kind of uh, destructive. Yeah. So you're kind of, you're weighing the two things. You're thinking, beyond the visible destruction of what I'm saying, is there something else that's, uh, that's good? so it's it's the, the i would kind of i'd have a couple of buddhist friends and I'm, i remember one of them saying to me uh he came to see a show that i was doing and in the first 5 or 10 minutes i was you know all my words were noble hmm. and warm hearted and for the second 10 minutes then things got a bit spiky yeah. and he said he said i liked the first 10 minutes and then i so then he started thinking god almighty am am i uh is part of what I do is, is bring something ugly on stage, you know, so you kind of, there's no, there's no final resting place. And wherever you are, you can be exposed to sharp wind.
0: But that discomfort, I mean? so, that, that discomfort in an audience, I find really exhilarating. If I go to a, a comedy show and I'm made to feel uncomfortable oh. for some reason, I find that fascinating. I love that.
1: But, the, but, but I, then, well, then you're, you are worth seeing. In what if, sense? That, that in, in, in the sense that, that if, if, if you're as a performer going on stage and going, I love, I love the, I love the gaps that I can create yeah. between. I, I think that, that makes you an interesting performer and that, and when within the safety of, you know, you're, you're not walking into a primary school.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, that's, that's know, it. it's about treating the audience as, as adults and, 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 and that they'll know that you're totally. You're,
1: then, well then, you know, that's, that makes you worth seeing as a performer. But be okay then people that. would
0: say, I mean there are a lot of activists at the moment and it's a very common trope at the moment that words can be a form of violence. And that I mean just as you say there that some words are invested with an inherent goodness and have the capacity to heal, yeah, right? Yeah. People would say that there are words that in of themselves irrespective of context have the capacity to do harm. So, sure. I, I remember a conversation between Louis CK and one of his gay friends and the gay friend was saying, you know, just I'm not saying you should censor yourself, but when you say the word faggot, you've got to know that we hear it and it's a word that's been used by people physically attacking us and you know and and therefore it brings that back and he i know i think it was a dramatized scene that he was doing but the point was sure. valid i think you know
1: i don't know i mean i was driving home the other night and i was listening to fairy tale of new york yeah no he's come back you maggot you cheap as you faggot i can't remember the rest of it yeah yeah, uh, but it was very very obvious listening to the song that these were two characters oh yeah it's a dialogue uh, right it's a, yeah, yeah. Sl- slinging you know uh you he calls her a a slut and an old whore on junk and she retorts this other thing Um, so in that particular instance and I I think there were a few years ago there was a call to have the song banned or to have that word taken out
0: it is on radio they won't play that version of the song on radio 1 but they do on radio 2 it's almost like they've got the younger audience and the the audience they trust to understand the context of the song so I don't know I really don't think there are, are any absolutes or any fixed
1: um all I can just say in terms of racism and maybe uh, eugenie. is that is it so? Mis- misogyny yeah. is male, um, male hatred,
0: uh, women, yeah, hatred okay. towards women,
1: yeah. And what's is there is there is there
0: a word for the other way around, yeah? Misandry would be hatred of men,
1: all right. So all I, can, all I can testify to is uh, experience of racism as an Irish person. Right. And you kind of go, when have I ever come across it and how does it affect me? And you kind of, you know, I can't really think of that many instances uh, that, you know, um, I can think of in terms of that. that other words you gave me um, I I can, <laughs> Andrew, so. uh, Yeah, I can't really think of you know um, of stuff like that so maybe I do live a kind of uh, uh, I'm not in the firing line when it comes to felt I see hatred and oppression um, but again that's not you know that doesn't mean my voice is invalid mm. um, that just means I'm speaking from a particular perspective and um there's a line uh there's a line from the bob Dylan song uh uh as George Lewis told the Englishman the Italian and the jew, you can't open up your mind, boys, to every conceivable point of view, yeah, so I guess you know um and we we are kind of we're all f- we're all fumbling
0: yeah oh you know? um well, so, we are. We are, and we're all fallible, and we're all capable of mistakes, but but, yeah. but my worry is that the, the the kind of people I'm talking about who say that words are a form of violence, they don't believe we are. They believe in a kind of moral purity that you must uphold, and they believe, uh, they don't believe in forgiveness, ultimately. And that I feel, I don't feel how... Well, the then or- they must be destroyed. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you, how... Uh, a court gesture exists in a in a world without forgiveness. I suppose I don't know how that that happens.
1: Yeah, um, that's you know forgiveness is um, there. I I was definitely wronged by a couple of people, mm. and I remember you know thinking about forgiveness. And I was I the point that I wasn't able to get beyond then. Although I do feel a little there might be a breach. In the dam now, yeah. was that? Does it, Do they have to say sorry in order for you to forgive them? Does that? Does there have to be some sort of sense of contrition?
0: I, I don't think so. But, I mean, I've got friends okay. who cannot say sorry. It's it's beyond their power. Believe me. I think it it just does something to their ego that is earth shattering. So yeah. I just I just accept that as an as an additional flaw.
1: I'd be like that around the house now. I'd be I'd be very slow to admit.
0: Defeat. Ah, but you—you're in a position of authority in the house. You've got children to look after. Jeez, oh, are you crazy? You can't, yeah. you can't let that facade slip; otherwise, no. they'll break you.
1: No, no. oh, well. this oh, is why well. I
0: don't have children. This is why I don't. Oh, I don't well. oh there's always time. There's always time. <laughs> I don't think I could handle that. Um, do you have? Do you find it um, conflicting? Your role as a father and your role as a a, tr- a trickster. Do you let? Do you? Do your children ever see you perform? Would they understand? No, they don't difference? want to come and see me. So my. My oldest is
1: 28 and my youngest is nine. I have six kids and I have a, a granddaughter as well. And they generally don't want to see me on stage. Really? And yeah, because I think it's such an uncomfortable... They don't mind watching me act. And they, you know, they, if they were heavily medicated, they might watch the <laughs> chat show. Right. Um, but they really don't want to see... And I can understand it. It's not something you want to see your dad do.
0: But I, I just wonder what would happen. Has the elder... So you say there's a 28... Year old, Yeah. Have they, uh, have they ever been in the audience for your stand-up? And does that affect your performance at all? Does no, that- it,
1: no. So what happened was when, the, when he was 16, 15 actually, um, he worked with me for a little while, uh, just kind of doing production stuff, you know. Yeah. And I remember the first time he saw me on stage uh, and he, it just, he didn't say anything, but on, he didn't speak on the way home. No. And he was just looking out the window all... It was about a four-hour drive home, and he was just, just looking out the window. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad kinda, review. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, you know, you, you have one vision. You have perhaps have one vision of your mother and father as being, you know, uh, middle-class, suburban, yeah, um, BBC One people. And then you come home early one day, and your dad is dressed in a leather gimp outfit. <laughs> 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 with with some sort of, you know, uh, a latex goat head. It's, you don't want to see your parents do that. You no, no.
0: Specifically that image. I think you don't want that. Oh. So I think
1: I think that's, I think that's what it's like for my kids seeing me do stand up. It's kind of like oh Jesus. <laughs> oh, oh, I, can't, I can that do it in the basement and keep it to
0: himself. Wow. Yeah, that sense of shame in in. Well, see, it's it's what you were talking about. Different roles. It's just a different role. It's not totally. one. And I
1: tried to explain to them. I said, you know. I, uh, like one of my daughters gets very sad when she thinks of me doing stand-up and I just, you know, it's just, it's a character it's a role it's, yeah. it's partly you in the same way of course it's partly your dad you know, in, in the goat head, it is kind of your dad, <laughs> um, but it's a kind of a, it's a, kind of a role um, which is why I would, if anybody's starting doing stand-up I would always suggest them to use a stage name
0: Oh, yeah. Well, oh. particularly, I mean, I was going to say the closest I've come to that experience with a child is when I was a school teacher and two of the sixth formers turned up at one of my gigs. And it was, you know, I was just on the open mic oh, yeah. at that point. And of course, it wasn't necessary, but it oh, totally undermined my authority then back yeah. At the school. Yeah, totally. It wasn't. Oh, I can pop- see
1: that. I can see that. There was a couple of Irish teachers, uh, Irish school teachers who, um, so in Ireland, you do this thing called the H DIP, which is where you've qualified as a teacher. Uh, but you need to do a year of teaching practice
0: yeah. um,
1: uh, before you're fully qualified. So you yeah. get these kids uh, straight out of college mm-hmm. and these two guys obviously weren't weren't fit for purpose and they got into a lot of trouble because uh, uh, one of them asked one of the kids in the class to... Come up here, please. <clears throat> I want you to give this note to Mr. Foley in room mm-hmm. four. And the kid uh, walked down and handed the note to Mr. Foley and... Um, uh, the, Mr. Foley started laughing, and uh, because the note said, "This is the ugliest child in my class," <laughs>
0: <laughs> send me the ugliest kid in yours. <laughs> <house. laughs> that is amazing. So that's um, probably
1: a sackable <laughs> offence. I would. Oh, they were sacked. Yeah, they were sacked. Two of them were sacked. Made national news.
0: Wow. But 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 hilarious. Yeah. 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 I mean, but that I think your tip about use a false name. Absolutely. Because I mean, I had complaints to the headmistress. of When I'd gone part-time, I was, I was earning enough to go part-time. So I was doing stand-up half the time and teaching half the time. She got complaints from parents and she called me in and oh, she had a list wow. of quotations on oh, my, my set. And, you know, and, and it, the parent had said something like, um, did you know about this before you employed this person? And did you, do you now consider it appropriate to retain this person's employ or something like that? And of course, oh, you
1: know, yeah, I wonder, um, I think there's a, a, uh, the older I get, the more Irish I realize I am, and that being Irish is very different to being English. So we would, we would would, I think Irish people would have a lot in common, would have a lot in common with countries like Estonia. Mm. So Estonia for hundreds of years was a kind of a slave state. It was passed between Germany and Russia, and they only recently received independence. So they have a long history of being inferior. Yeah. And I think I think we still have that in Ireland. And one of the uh, one of the freedoms of being inferior is that you you are not responsible for the country. Right. It's always That's so, always somebody else's affair. Yeah. Um. So I think Irish people in general, we pay less attention to those very responsible things that people in charge are supposed to do. Mm. We have a more of a we lean slightly less towards rules and regulations. Yeah. Even though nothing is fixed and it's not, it's not as dramatic as that, but in a soft way, we lean less towards those kind of things, you know? Yeah. Whereas um, my sense of England is that you're, and you probably get the same in Sweden. Like Sweden used to be an empire. Yeah. You know, and if, you, if you're in Gothenburg, you see the people walk around and they have this sense of, regality about them they're all yeah, so full of themselves yeah. just walking around the place um but in england i think england was such a powerful nation yeah um that and it was always in charge so i think rules and regulations are really important in english culture so sometimes stuff that that people get into trouble for in england they wouldn't get into trouble for in ireland
0: no maybe not that's um, a, that's a good point point. and yet you know, if I think about my experience at school, the teachers I l- learned the most from were the ones that were willing to break the rules, to say the things you, they obviously would get in trouble for saying, but they did it anyway. I had this great priest who used to teach me. And you'd, I remember I'd remember
1: up and say, I'd tell him that I didn't have my homework done. He came up with this brilliant line. He said, what do you want me to do? Hit you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, and I think just with the... That, fe- that thing of being an Irish person mm. so say when I'm when I'm performing in England yeah it's to have the cultural confidence in my instincts as they are yeah to go this is what I do um and uh this is where I come from yes to have that confidence but also to have the, like if I'm going to see a comedian from Harlem or Dorset. Yeah. Or, you know, Nicaragua. Part of it is
0: I'm interested in seeing somebody from that
1: place. So,
0: so do, you, do you think the recklessness within comedy, I say recklessness, but I suppose the anarchic thing that we were talking about is kind of innate to uh, the Irish experience?
1: I don't know because, I mean, you know, um, I think it's not necessarily because I think humour is by definition uh, anarchic. Mm. S- yeah, something yeah, yeah. is being fractured.
0: Yeah, so you could
1: have a, a a very English upper class comedian, and he's he's breaking something.
0: Mm. You know, um, well, even by joking, you're making yourself less of a figure of authority, aren't you? Even by totally doing
1: that. Um, but it's also it's also to have, as say an Irishman who's performing in England, it's to have uh, to put enough value on your cultural. Upbringing to say that this may be of interest to you. So, if an English comic is coming over, you know, if, say, Terry Alderton, all my references are fairly old school. (laughs) (laughs) But say if Terry's coming over, or if um, I remember gigging with people like Nick Wilty or people like that, they're saying, I'm English and this is my experience, this is my viewpoint. To have the confidence to say, I hope an Irish audience find the humanity of this interesting. You know, um, so rather than me when I go to England trying to fit in and do well and and succeed, those things kind of fade away and you kind of go, I'm presenting uh, a particular strain of Irish thought uh, which might be peculiar to me. Uh, but I hope you find it interesting. But I am always yeah, Irish. And I'm very well aware too that cultural difference is only at the surface level.
0: Yeah. Well, um, there's always that humanity that, that is just there totally. irrespective of where you are. You know?
1: Um, and that's the thrill of performing in different countries. And it's also the... If you don't find a culture interesting, then it's very hard to perform there. Have I you- like, I really like Australian people. yeah. But I find Australian culture—I don't, I can't, uh, I can't warm to it. I don't know what it is. It's—I uh, have lots of Australian friends who I think are warm, kind, funny, anarchic, uh, positive people. But there's something about the culture when I'm there. I, I don't. Oh God, I don't really. I no,
0: know. it's it's the spiders for me. I can't be dealing spiders. with Yeah, I can't be dealing with that. And the fact that it's always on fire. I, I don't yeah. understand why it's always on fire.
1: You make it sound like a strange planet that yeah. the Starship <laughs> Enterprise is about to land on. And Spock says, I wouldn't go there. It's on fire and it's full of spiders.
0: <laughs> do you ever find, though, that your humour doesn't translate in a certain cultural context? That What you specifically do just does not work?
1: Sure, yeah. Um, I had an experience of it down in New Zealand one time where it was more to do with the fact that I think that um, so there are different waves in comedy yeah you know uh there was the uh, so the, the easily identifiable ones are in the 60s in America you would have had great political comedy you would have had um that would have been one of the flavors okay so yeah, yeah, yeah. Lenny Bruce Mortsal all these people Dick Gregory that kind of thing then you go okay in the 70s there was a kind of a, whole, a big silliness it was um say maybe Jonathan Winters and it was Steve Martin and um, you know that kind of even these aren't sharply defined things but you can notice moments and then in England you say okay in the 80s something happened and there was a kind of a like political Tennessee, thing huh? as well as silliness and in the 90s something else happened it became a bit blokey maybe or something like that um, but there, then sometime around 2008, 2009 there was the arrival of the Milk and Cookies gang and these were comedians who...
0: I've never uh, heard that phrase. I don't know.
1: The milk and cookies gang. Yeah. Everything was charming. Everything was sweet. Nobody, I see. Nobody was offended. It was often very well written, uh, but it was kind of corduroy. It yeah. was kind of like uh, uh, Flight of the Corduroys. <laughs> just, <laughs> it was just... Um, and I think fans of that particular type of comedy can find maybe what I do a bit repulsive. I've noticed cool. that. So yeah. I remember going on stage one time uh, after the brilliant Arj Barker. Um, we were performing together down in New Zealand where he did an hour. There was a break and then I did an hour. Um, and the same person reviewed both shows. Yeah. And they loved Arj. And Arj is so smart uh, and so kind of gently mischievous. Uh, but he's not contentious in any way. Yeah. He's kind of a beautiful wizard. And then I come on. Cursing and, and the person just said, "This guy is from the seventies. Get him off the stage." So that, every now and again, you come across something like that. Sure. Yeah, uh, but in terms of actual entire nations that don't like my stuff,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be odd. Was that reaction just him, or was that the uh, was that the, did the crowd bulk? No, because they, they they mentioned in the review uh,
1: the crowd seemed to like it. <laughs> uh,
0: that begrudging kind of I know best, but. These plebs seem to yeah go. but i can under-
1: I can understand how um, your mind can't always shift from one rhythm to another very quickly you know it's very yeah. hard to go from listening to uh heavy metal uh, to appreciating the finer points of improvised jazz, maybe
0: yeah, I was going to say like when you're following an act that's wildly different in tone, I know some some, some of the older school acts used to do stand up after a striptease thing or something. It's, oh, yeah. You know, what? That'd be fantastic know that fantastic to work. try.
1: Wouldn't it It'd be on in a strip club and just...
0: What, to to, what to try happen. and tell jokes to a, people who've just been turned on, <laughs> or aroused. Yeah,
1: or just who are tired and depressed and lonely, maybe. <laughs> Might be a more accurate demographic no, I've, description. I've audience audiences like that before. Um, I think uh, when you do that, though, like I toured for a while with Jason Byrne when both of us were starting off. Mm. And we used to kind of flip around who go first and who go second. Now, for anybody who hasn't seen Jason, he is a, uh, he's like rolling down a hill. I mean, he's just, mm. he's, he's like, a, he can be like a ginger Richard Pryor mixed mm. with, um, kind of eight kids on a bouncy castle. He just has this,
0: I've seen it. Yeah. You no,
1: know, it's chaos. It's kind of, and it's improvised and it's, he, he'll go from a very, very funny story yeah. Uh, to just some kind of strange prop magic. And it's um, it's it's kind of wild, you know? Yeah. And I would often have to uh, go on after him. So it was about me realizing, OK, I, I have to take the energy of what of Jason's last minute mm. and almost uh, not ignore it. But I, I have to take that on stage with me and transform it. Because In you can was
0: abruptly a- bring something totally different without any kind of segue, is that what you Yeah, you're doing? I think it's it's about absorbing what, for me back then, it was about absorbing what he had
1: done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, and it mightn't be visible to the audience what you're doing, you know, um, but you're kind of going, you're, you're, you know, Jason's last exhalation is your first inhalation. I understand. So... Yeah. And you walk on with his spirit and then you kind of you, you go your direction but it's, yeah. an, it's an art form in itself isn't it just to find out how to follow people and so that's the idea of an MC that he always brings it back to the neutral space that's it you know yeah. in an ideal way
0: and d- 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 do you have a support act on your tour? You- it, it
1: depends I do I will have this weekend but only because um, again these are strange practicalities mm. so I got the show up to somewhere between 80 and 90 minutes um really enjoyable for me has great momentum there's great bits of uh strangeness yeah in the show that but i'm still holding the audience's attention with them and because of the covid restrictions um the audio, the, the show had to be performed in a, in, a, in a straight block uh of 80 minutes so right. that's that's the show yeah and i got that and that was a, a huge relief to me and i got very stressed out about it and i almost retired Twice in the preparation for it I'll tell you a funny story I wanted to I I, want, I, I just couldn't I was, It was during Dairy Girls mm. And I couldn't Get my head around The stand-up show And I couldn't find The excitement in it And I wasn't So I'm imagining stand-up Without Experimenting each night Yeah And I go Oh God I won't be able to do this So uh, I phoned up my Agent and I says I'm, I'm, I can't do this uh, and she goes okay okay and I says I'm, I'm cancelling the English tour and she says okay okay that's, that's not a problem Tommy um, it'll cost you some money mm-hmm. and I says how much will, I don't care how much like thinking she says a lot and yeah. I says when you, when you say a lot do you mean are you talking five ten grand a lot and she says no I'm talking about forty grand a lot to cancel the tour and I said Jesus the only way I can afford that is by, by doing the tour
0: <laughs> so you did oh. it <laughs>
1: So I committed to it So the yeah. only way to pay The only way to pay For the cancellation of the tour Was by not cancelling it
0: um, <laughs> And did you And you did it No I'm about to do
1: it I'm oh, about, about to do it in March. Yeah But what, but what I'm so. saying is So I I um, Eventually got to the stage After uh, Months and months Of
0: Dreaming And figuring And talking Yeah I have something to play with when I go on stage. And, and is, this, is this because did, were you feeling that way? Because, you know, the, the circumstances of the pandemic have meant that you haven't been able to get yourself into that space.
1: Maybe, but also, it also just it also took a lot of thinking about in terms of where is the adventure for me? And it wasn't I didn't find the adventure with a pen and paper. I found it by going on stage and walking off dissatisfied. Yes. i going and, and one thing I've noticed is that I have a very hopeful imagination. So I walk off dissatisfied, and it was yeah. a process of doing that over two or three months, where you ah, I see it now. Yeah, I I see where I, what I can do, and and so that's been that's what I've been doing, and it's it's uh, but I, so it's a very Irish show. So I'm I'm now I'm two months away from the English tour, kind of going. Okay, how do I just and I, I need to be aware of. I'm performing to English people and, and what if I say, if I mention a name in Ireland, yeah, the people yeah, yeah. already start giggling at. they won't know who that is in English. But anyway, so, I have this 80-minute chunk of work that I'm very, very happy to do. I wake up in the morning and I'm looking forward to getting up on stage that night and performing it. Great. Then, so the COVID restrictions are lifted and all of a sudden, each venue that you're performing in says, we need an interval in order to cover our costs. So, what are you going to do about that? Yes. I say, okay, well... There's a great momentum built up over the 80 minutes. If I do two forties, I don't... It changes the, theatrical, the theatricality. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So then you go, okay, well, I'll get a support act in and let them do the first 25, and then I'll come on. But then that also changes because previously, when you were 45 minutes into the 80, yeah, the audience were the same, but now they've had another... A different
0: experience, right? Yeah. So these—they're
1: all kind of kind of odd technical things. But in mm-hmm. terms of taking a support act in England, I haven't decided. That's a really, really long, and
0: detailed answer. <laughs> it was. Question. I think I asked that question about ten <laughs> minutes ago. <but> <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's that's great. So no, with that in mind, we're, we're we're coming to the end now, and I'm, I really appreciate having this conversation because it's been fascinating. And you've um, been
1: very gracious, Andrew. Thank you very much. You've been. I very, like to think um, of myself as a gracious. <laughs> no, really, you have. So thank you for your. Uh, for that so thank
0: you no that i appreciate it and um with, with that in mind though i mean we've talked a lot about personas what so with this new show what is the persona that people can expect to see when you're when you're over here touring? it's not one it's not one
1: right. um uh so the persona of the the persona when i walk out and say hello yeah that that's a different persona to the person who's then telling warm-hearted jokes 10 minutes into the show and that's very different than from all the different characters who uh, for me, I I wanted and I want a sense of kind of being overwhelmed by character yeah, and not in a way that's kind of um, like an impressionist might do 14 or 15 different people, but just to be able to, to wonder in in the way that, say, now go back to Bob Dylan, that his songs seem to be from lots of different points of view. Sure. So I think what I wanted is that, that the stand-up is from lots of different points of view. And, you know, uh, the characters are strange. And because I'm kind of well-known in Ireland and I have a reputation for being slightly, that stand up being slightly, you know, um, this woman, this woman came up to me the other day and she said, um, "I," she said, I don't like you. She said, um, <laughs> she, then, then, then she said, every time I see you on the television, I think, oh, here's that f-ing ignoramus and the language out of you. So, <laughs> but people come up to me and they tell me strange stories about strange states of mind they've been in. Like, you know, a guy a guy came up to me, and he told me a story of when he tried to hang himself and I go, so I have that story, and that story has a beginning and a middle and an end, and it ended with a funny thing that he said, yeah, and I go, okay, well, why not take the why not why don't we all just go there for four or five minutes and because I have this canvas of an hour and a half, I can do yeah. that i can I can wander into this kind of and I can be I become him and I tell the story and then you kind of go back out of it again and then you uh, you know so there are stories
0: on, you're drawing on other people's experiences that they've shared with you in various yeah that's
1: part of it yeah and then and then you know and then there's uh like as is obviously evident from this podcast I have no problem talking
0: yeah
1: right so it's then it's about uh fantasy
0: yeah
1: and you know Imagining different things and enjoying, enjoying uh, words and enjoying talking and, and, and trying to paint pictures and, but again, not, not being too theoretical about it, you know, um, and it might, it mightn't be for everybody and the show mightn't work in England. You know what I mean? So I, I, I don't, but it's what I do. Uh, yeah. And I'm very, very happy right now to be doing it. And it wasn't always that way. Um, but I'm I'm kind of relishing this. I remember when I started doing stand-up, uh, I remember having this feeling that every night was like going to a party.
0: Yeah.
1: That I, w- I would wake up in the morning and I'd just... Or, or it's, a, it's a Tuesday. And I'd just be kind of... Tuesdays. And then I'd remember I'd have a show that night and I'd go, F- yeah. It's like going to a party. Yeah. And I kind of have that same sense back again where it's kind of like a marvellous submersion into something that I don't fully understand but which I'm um very very happy uh, to be doing right now.
0: Well that sounds like a good enough reason for us to go and see it. Can't wait to see it. Thank you Tommy so much for joining me today on the podcast.
1: My pleasure Andrew.
0: This has been the Free Speech Nation podcast for GB News with me, Andrew Doyle, and my guest, Tommy Tin. And don't forget that Tommy will be touring in his show, Tom Foolery from the 17th of March until the 8th of April. So do go and get tickets for that if you are able to. And also you can check out his podcast, which is called THL. And he also has a new YouTube channel, which is called Tomedian, And you can go and check out some of his clips there. Please don't forget to like and subscribe if you enjoyed today's podcast and join me next week when there'll be another fabulous guest. See you then.